All right, Chief. So you were asking, so the my background, right? We're gonna we're gonna get right. into the official introduction. We'll do all that. But you and I've been chatting, and I said, listen, we gotta hit the record button. So we're recording. So um that presentation is doing very well. I think there's something about when you're willing to share who you are and you're authentic in your message, people it resonates with people. And um oh, I, I wholeheartedly so agree. It's you know, um, because people only see you as a snapshot in time. Hundred percent. Like, like even you, you with your your radio show, it's like a snapshot in time. You're you're the voice, right? And you're the camaraderie. You're the brotherhood. They know nothing about Brian. personal life. They don't know your wife. They don't know what you have to deal with. That's right. How happy she is that you're sitting there with the headset on. So let me let me share this with you. This happened to me this morning. Um, I am rarely caught off guard when it comes to National Fire Radio. I have made incredible friendships, relationships, have met people from all over the world, the biggest names in the fire service down to regular average guys just like me, right? That just right. love going to fires, love serving the community, right? You and I never met. We've texted right. until today, and now we right. finally yeah. meet, right? I went online today. At least I figured out what you looked like, and you know, did a little <laughs> background on you, right? But I love I, – that's what I love about this platform is I get to do this. I just get to have conversations with people. This morning, I got caught so off guard that it actually teared me up, and I'll share this story with you. Um, okay. I was at Joey D two weeks ago, um, the Joey D conference, they asked me to do the roundtable for the guys, uh, the survivors of Black Sunday. So Brennan Cauley, uh, Gene Stolowski, and uh, and Jeff Cool. And and I had met Jeff before. I'd never met the other guys. So it was a real honor for me to be chosen to moderate that roundtable because of the significance of that fire. And the three of them have only spoken together on two or three other occasions and so on. So that was a real honor. So um, my travel schedule has been crazy, but Saturday before the, the roundtable was Sunday morning, Saturday, um, so many of my friends fly in from all over the country for that conference to teach and so on. And then I love meeting the, the guys that are there to learn. And so I, I asked my daughter if she wanted to come with me. My other daughter was busy. My wife wasn't feeling great. So I asked my daughter if she wanted to come with me, Paige, she's 16. And um, she said, yeah, I'll take the ride with you. Now, this is like a two-hour ride from my house out through Long Island with traffic and everything else. Takes a ride with me, gets to the training ground. We walk the training ground. We're, we're walking all over, introducing her to people, you know, and so on. Because my family's my everything, right? And and I, I should preface the conversation before we hit the record button. You you said, you know, we're just a snapshot in time. People don't know our right. backgrounds and our families. <clears throat> and that, but I'm very open and willing to share with people about who I am. And that involves my family because I, I'm not going to give you all the details, but it's my family. It's partly it's 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 my everything, but they also make up who I am. Right. So right. long story short, um, my daughter and I are walking all over the training ground. We leave great day we see some friends on the way out done this morning i open up instagram now i i'm on social media right that's what we do national Fire Radio, right i open up instagram and there's a post and it's a picture of my daughter and i walking together from the from the backside. so the photographer chance craven took our photo as we walked away from talking with him and it and it's my daughter and I walking shoulder and shoulder, and we're both looking off in one direction. And this gentleman, Chance, who I've never met before until that day, I put my hand out, shook his hand. I said, hey, I introduced myself to him because I like to introduce myself to everybody by name. I never take it, uh, never take a meeting with somebody for granted. And he was just snapping pictures, and I walked up next to him, and 
chatting with him for a minute. I stuck my hand out, shook his hand. I said, hey, I'm Jeremy. He introduced himself. I said, hey, I recognize your name. Have we met before? He said, no. I said, man, your name sounds really familiar. Well, I follow him on Instagram, and that's how I that's how I knew him, right? right. But I didn't know who he was at the time. I couldn't put it together until this morning. And he posted this picture of my daughter and I today, and he he said these most poetic and incredibly powerful words where he summarized the post by saying there's so much bad and tragedy that surrounds the fire service, and yet there's still some good out there. And then he he recognized me as a as as somebody that I don't want to I don't want to ruin it, man, because it was such a beautiful post. And um and I was just so floored by his words, but he said, um, let me, let me read. If you don't mind, chief, I don't mean to. No, I, I, I got to tell you because yeah. this, this told me it resonates because I am the advocate for positive fires. Yes. It is so easy to drill out the negative fires. Yes. Before you read that, the irony of this whole conversation right now is I had the exact same picture taken with myself and my daughter. So it was awesome. probably about five years old. Yeah. At Connecticut Fire Academy. So I, I used to be a lead program uh, instructor for the recruit program. And somebody took the same exact snapshot. Love it. It, it. The back of us, you know, yeah. it's like in, and it just, and it brings it together, but I, I'd love to hear that saying. Right. So this is, this is now I met this guy once literally shook his hand, introduced myself to him, introduced my daughter to him. We chat, we had some small talk, walked away. This was two weeks ago. And then out of nowhere, this po he posts this today. And he says, it's a picture of my daughter and I, and it says underneath it, it says, if you start searching for how detrimental the fire service can be, it doesn't take long to find heartbreaking facts about divorce, broken families, the children who despise their parents calling. Whether a volunteer or paid firefighter, the fire service demands a great deal of time, and no one understands that more than a firefighter's family. The heartbreaking facts are true, but that's only one side of the story. There are also a lot of firefighters who are intentional about loving their spouses, leading their children, and prioritizing family. And if what we focus on grows, I'm going to keep focusing on firefighters like these that are prioritizing the things that matter. Firefighters like Jeremy. Although I don't know you personally, I saw you introduce your daughter to everyone you talk to and be intentional, intentional about making her feel valued. I see you, sir. Wow. Yeah, that that Bro. again that resonates. That's, Jeez. Uh, Jeez. I got to tell you, Jeremy, my 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 wife's in the room here uh, listening. And, uh, Look at my eyes right now. My eyes are oh, welling up. Like it is. I. It's so funny, brother. That's passion. That's passion. That's what that is. It's my family. They're everything to me. My kids, my wife, they are my everything. I can't do what I can't have the relationships I have in life. I can't be talking to you tonight. If I don't have this unconditional support and love for my family. And that is what we really need to focus and talk about when we talk about the fire services. You got to be good in your personal life. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to be good in the firehouse, the only way you're going to be good on the fire ground is if you have things in order. If your if your personal life matches your output in your professional life, it makes sense. But it can't be unbalanced. Yeah. And you know what? And and listen, I I started my fire service career in 1985 as an 18 year old kid and um you know in the fire service is everything and, that, and as you know as, as you progress through and and new things come into your life you, you meet people you um you, you meet uh somebody you get, get married you start to have a family and your life starts to change and your priorities change but you still have that drive that passion for the fire service and it's a very 
delicate balance. You have to have the right person to be your partner in order to appreciate that and, and kind of ground you at the same time. Say, hey, you know what? We're here as well. We're here as well. Come back here a little bit as well so that they could share it. Um, I'm very fortunate in my personal life where, um, you know, my wife and I, this is our, this is our second marriage. Uh, we have five children all together uh, from 29 down to 11. Nice. Uh, my, my 29-year-old, is, he's a uh, lieutenant in a citizen engine company as a volunteer and currently at the State Police Academy. Um, my, my other daughter is a pharmacist. I have a daughter who's a speech pathologist. I have a 20-year-old stepson who's a uh, 911 dispatcher, and he's a uh, firefighter in two volunteer fire departments. And I have a wife who's not only supportive, who's also joined our ranks as a firefighter, driver, and an EMT and an EMSI. Wow. She really wasn't that. She was an EMT prior to meeting her, but the, I, I think it was the drive of all of us together sure. to, to find something common. And, and we have a very unique relationship, I feel, uh, for, for somebody who's involved in the, in the fire service. And, and I, I'm very blessed to have that. But you need to have somebody who has that understanding. And you have to realize that although as a firefighter, you have a love for the fire service and your family may tolerate that to a certain extent, that you have to do exactly what you do. You, you, you know, you put your family first. And, um, and I know that was kind of a roundabout way of discussing this, but um, oftentimes I think we lose that in, and, and I, I hate to put it this way, but we lose that in the brotherhood. It's like, you know, we, we start sure to way too much in the fires because because it's that much of a passion. I think I think what's really interesting today is, you know, I'm a firm believer and I've had to come to understand this. Right. I've had to understand that absolutely my family comes first. However, there are times I have to come first. And right. and that is being sure that I'm getting what I need to be able to put them first. Like we, we all have our needs and our needs have to be met or you're, you're unsatisfied. You're unfulfilled, right. if you will. So well, it, it's a mutual respect. Though. So she respects without a doubt. That, you respect your family for, for what they need from you. And you have to be careful. And I've spoken about this on other podcasts where there was a time when I took them for granted. I took mm -hmm. them for granted that when I st first started national fire radio five, six years ago, I went all in on this platform and it took me away and it took me away mentally and physically often. And it got to the point where it did get in the way. Right. And thankfully, thankfully I was able to understand that I've, I had some a reckoning with myself to understand that there has to be more of a balance. And when I say balance, man, I talk about that a lot too, and it's never <laughs> 50 50 and that's not what balance is. Balance means that you're able to, you're able to give and get what you need in a way that works for all. Right. Right. Yeah. Lack it, of better words. No. And, and it's, it's all about happiness in life. It's all about fulfillment. And, you know, obviously your, your fulfillment is, is bringing people together, creating Love it. those relationships. Love it. You know, fills you, you know, and I, and I can see it in your face right now, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and that is that, that, that carries, and your, your family feels that as well, too. So, you know, um, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, we, we become silent mentors for our families and our friends by our actions. I don't care. Very well said. Um, 
I have come to learn, man, I'm so grateful for my journey because it took me quite a long time to figure things out, but I think I needed to figure it out on my terms. And, um, and, you know, we all, we all are figuring life out, obviously, right. Even at 46 years old, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring other than, you know, certain things that I've planned or, or have planned, but you just never know. And I think that that is um, something that I've really had to come to understand is I'm not invincible. I used to be right. right. I used to have right. all the answers. Um, I used to have all the friends that I needed. I used to have, you know, everything possible at my fingertips. Today, I feel like I have none of it. <laughs> and I'm right. and I'm growing and looking for more and wanting more. And it's just a refocus on what you think versus what you've come to know. Um, well, you, you know, um, as you go through life, and, and I, like I joined, like I said, I joined in 1985 as a volunteer firefighter. Yeah. I was 18 years old. I was eight. I, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> at, at, in 1985, I was issued an aluminum helmet, which I have over here. Love Fireball it. gloves. Yes. Cotton duck three-quarter length uh, 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 jacket. Yep. Three-quarter length boots. And you know what I thought? I was a goddamn hero, man. I am good. Oh, yeah. Right? Walk riding through on, walls, baby. Yep. Riding on the on the beaver tail of uh, Engine 3 going down Route 8, and, and, and life was great, you know? And um, as you go through life, you look back, and that, that's like a, a holy crap moment. It's like, you know, we um, you, you learn a lot. Yeah. And, and as life progresses and as things become different, uh, things become important in your life, perspectives change you know but one thing that has never changed for me is the love for the fire service nice you know any anybody that that knows me that my family uh, friends and you know none of my I, I was born late in life so my sister was 17 years old when i was born and although i did you know the family trade like you did my father was a tool and die maker and i and i followed his footsteps nobody was surprised that my passion was the fire service and i was able to uh get a job uh, where I started at the Nautical Fire Department in 1991. And um, when anybody that knew me through my family and it's like, yeah, uh, Jimmy got a job as a firefighter. They're like, well, we're not surprised. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's He's right thing. where he needs to be. And, you know, I've recycled myself several times uh, in, in different departments and retiring and such. And I, I've had uh, a couple of retirement parties, actually. And one of my, my biggest phrases is I've never worked a day in my life. I enjoy every single day. So. Yeah. Yeah. Where does where does that unconditional love come from? I mean, are you a generational firefighter? Or were you the first well, in your family? I mean, what? Um, I, I, you know, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about that today. So I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And yeah, my father was a volunteer firefighter here in Beacon Falls. And that, that, that was in like in the 50s. And, okay. And my, my father was a World War II vet. He uh, mm -hmm. probably served in the U.S. Navy. Uh, during wartime and, and he came back and he was the commander of the american legion and i just um i absorbed those values from him and, and i have cousins that served in vietnam and, and i there was just a um a call to service for the community and, and my my father uh, ran first selectman in town was always involved in town i love it and, and I just, and, and I, I, I'm actually sitting in the basement of the house that my parents built. Cool. In the community. And it just, we have such a tie to the community. And um, I just felt that need to 
help out the community. And, and I knew that the fire service was, was my, my vehicle for that, my love for the fire service. I, as a young child, uh, we have a fire siren in, in our community. When, when there's a fire, it, it goes in 10 cycles, actually, because I've counted them since I've been five years old. And Used uh, to. Yeah, used, no, it still used. does. Because it does? When I, when, when we be, uh, back in 2014, when I became the fire chief at Beacon Hose, I resurrected the fire siren. Oh, the town must have hated you. They actually love it. They, well, we had here. we had to put we had to put some uh, we had to put some restrictions on after uh, ten o'clock at night. It doesn't go off and doesn't yeah. go off till seven in the morning. But you know, it, it brings back, and and I, I'm a big um, advocate of as much as we need to look forward. We're, look, we're looking further windshield. We're looking forward. You occasionally have to look in a rearview mirror and glance back. Hundred percent appreciate those traditions. 100%. One of those traditions. And as a matter of fact, um, funny thing, we have a, a 12 o'clock radio test. And um, when they do the radio test, they sound the siren upon the walls. And it resonates throughout the Northwest Valley. And God bless his soul, uh, Artie Norton is one of our fire police. And he was sitting on his back deck. And he heard the siren at 12 o'clock. He got on the radio. And he just said, I love that. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. You know, I, so, somebody you gotta, you gotta bring that back. Yeah, you, you have to have that. You have to move forward, but you have to remember those traditions and remember those people that put you in those positions that you're in now. I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I I think that that is a big part. You know, that's the fabric from which we're cut, right? And right. Yeah. And I agree with you. However, unfortunately, you know, when call volume is skyrocketing in these smaller communities and that siren kept going off more and more. They cut the cycles down cycles went from 12 to 10 to eight to four, not to disconnected. Right. And changing the time of day. And so on. I know in my community, I mean, that thing would be going off 700 times a year, you know, and it's right. like the schools there. Well, guess what? The parents aren't tolerable anymore. You know, the people that have left town and new people have come to town. They don't even know the volunteer fire department exists, let alone there's a fire siren. They think there's a tsunami or a storm warning coming, right? Like uh, people just don't know. And, and, you know, for small town USA, that fire siren, man, like that warned the town that something was right. going on. It warned that there were blue lights coming through town for the yeah, volunteer department. Look out. Right? Look right? out. The like, blue lights are coming down. Caution. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the town used to be a lot quieter. You used to be able to hear that siren. Right. You know, when I first got on 95, when I first got on at 18 years old, I lived close enough that as I pulled into the parking lot for a home response volunteer department, that siren was winding down. If we didn't get the engine out as the last wind down on that siren, we were late. We were getting out late. Very parallel universe, my man. Yeah. I am yeah. that. We used to run from the parking lot to get it. Now guys strolling, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, like they're on a hot date. They come walking in with style now versus we used to jump out of the car and run into the firehouse, you know? Um, I got to tell you, even when it goes off today, I like, you know, I'm 57 years old. I'm a career fire chief. I got, I got to say, if that tone went off right now, I'd probably leave. Just Yeah, well, I don't blame I mean, unless dog, it's a CO alarm or something, Chief. I mean, come on, CO alarm, fire alarm. I'm going to I'm gonna hold you to staying on the podcast. All right, I guess maybe that. that, you know. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny because um, cause they know I'm coming. You know, yeah. it's like. Right, right. Uh, the driver. I, and, and it's funny you say that about the siren because we do judge it by that. You know, we all get there and like, oh, it's starting to wind down. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. You're yelling at the guy. We've left guys on the apron when they're standing <laughs> there taking too long. We'd pull out. 
you know? I'm sorry, uh, I didn't see you. I didn't yeah, see you standing there. Exactly. Let me ask you this. You just said, like, they, they rely on you to be there. Um, volunteer right. fire. I know your career fire chief. We're going to get into your whole career yep. and all that. But while we're on this path, though, the volunteer fire service has those guys. Those guys mm-hmm. that are always there. They're there to open up for coffee. They're there to open right. up when the town needs to get in the building or there's voting or there's just the, those core group of older guys that have been there and they are the backbone of everything that's happening. You need somebody to let the guy in to fix the generator. Call this guy, you know, Love he's going to open right. the door, right? We need that man. Like, and yeah. we don't, we don't have a lot of that anymore. Those guys are dying off and we're not replacing them at the pace in which we used to be able to replace them. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because, um, when I when I, I was a chief here for uh, what three four years, um, when when I retired from the Nautical Fire Department, and we meet on Monday nights, and you know every Monday night we're down there, and and we had a, an off Monday night, and I'm down there doing paperwork. All of a sudden, you know, God rest his soul, yeah, a, another icon of our fire service in the valley, Bobby Messer, comes walking in. The guy's 82 years old, captain of the fire police. Doesn't miss a call. Yep. Actually told his family, you know, it's okay if he doesn't go. And they're like, Jimmy, we can't hold him home. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I would imagine I will be that Bobby Messner something. Yeah. Like yeah. That, uh, so I said, Bobby, what's going on? I said, Chief, we, we have nothing going on today. I'm just doing a little paperwork. He goes, Chief, Monday night's firehouse. Every night I'm done. He did that for 60 years. Yeah. Every Monday night, you know, and, and we, you know, luckily we still have a few people like that, but you're right. They are a dying breed. And I, I think something that's so important. Um, and I love talking about it in my program that I do is how much those guys need it actually more than we need them. Yes. We, have to, we have to recognize that we have to engage them when they are there let them tell that same story for the for the 51st time and engage them with some questions and torque them up and get them animated right. make them part of the conversation make them still feel wanted i you think know, I, un- unfortunately jeremy we we've uh, come quite versed in doing uh firefighter funerals for our, our older members they've been long gone and in in what you say is absolutely true and we remember different members for different and yeah. currently we have a member, uh, Mitch Malinsky, he's been on for 60 some odd years. Um, you know, his, his mobility isn't quite what it used to be. Uh, it takes a lot to get him in, into the fire department, but he's always there on a, on a monthly meeting. And the young guy scurried to get his chair for him to, to sit down. And he sits down in front and he is uh, like the godfather of Beacon Hose Company. And his one job at the end, to make the motion for the meeting to close so love that nothing happens yeah he's, and you know and, and and that's his part for now mm-hmm. he used to be the most active member we have but you know i i'm proud to say that our, our department does recognize that. that's fantastic and and you need to do that you know you, you need you, and you're absolutely right take the time to talk to those to entertain them let that guy adjourn that meeting. Let him make that motion every freaking Monday night or every w- month of month, whenever that meeting is. 
don't ever take that away from him. Well, I got to tell you, oftentimes there's awkward moments. So everybody's just kind of waiting around and you got to get a little elbow. <laughs> like, him? like, oh, I'm on, I'm on. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's my turn. Okay. Hey, guys, I'd like to make a motion. Yeah. And you know what's really cool is his granddaughter. Uh, she's, she's uh, I don't know, she's about 20 years old. And she's a tiny little thing, but mighty. And she's a firefighter EMT with us. That's awesome. That's cool. Just, yeah. Yeah, I just I value those guys, man. We we're losing them left and right in my firehouse. We don't have that many left. Um, and uh, you know, and just there's a void when they leave. Well, you know what, Jeremy, and and you know, you and I are probably aren't ready for this, but um, sooner or later we're gonna have to pick up that void. Ah, speak for yourself, man. And, no, and, and become those people. I know. I know. Those, you know, but we don't feel that way. So I, I still no. feel like I'm the young, energetic 18-year-old riding on the back of that beaver truck. Yeah, I I still, I love it. I absolutely love it. I know, um, you know, I I cut my, I cut my reign short. Um, I was an assistant chief for three years. I was chief for one, and we do three-year terms. And after my first year as departmental chief, I stepped down. Um, I did that on and my I own. I, I did that on my own accord because that was my first realization that for the four years prior i took so much away from my family that i had uh two younger stepchildren at the time and i had two kids under the age of two and uh and if i didn't my life would probably be very different today and i i think about that and i think about how many times i've put the volunteer fire service ahead of everything else in my life right and it is one of those things that you just can't wrap your head around why something there are guys that haven't left town they haven't moved out of town they right. stay in in town and the connection to volunteer fire company the mm -hmm. volunteer Absolutely. fire company where there is this like undeniable belief in our volunteer fire companies for the guys that are all in on it and they just have such a hard time stepping away from it well i i gotta say i Good, bad, or indifferent, I might be one of them. Because, Bro, you know, I, you, I can guarantee I am, you are. You know, I, I mean, can, I, I can I, guarantee you are. I fulfill my day as as a career firefighter. I'm and as a career firefighter, fire chief, I'm on call twenty four seven. I'm in a small department. We have eight guys per shift. I'm involved in 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 a lot of our state organizations. I, I'm gone all day and all night, but still, I have my allegiance to my volunteer fire department because I truly believe I am where I am in in my fire service career. Of that. There is something to that. I agree with you. And I, I often ponder this and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out why we're so loyal. And then I think it has to do with the fact that that is where we got our start. And there's just something about that, whether we're holding on to this nostalgia of that, whether we're holding on to, you know, I don't know that that milestone is, is just left an in, indelible impression on us. I, I don't, I don't know, but man, it's one of those things that like I scratch my head about all the time that like I've made decisions that have that have costed me right. you know, based upon my my undeniable belief in my fire company. It's crazy. <laughs> but you know what defines who we are. So it does. Know. And I'm very proud of that. Um, and I think that that is a big part of it. I, sure. I think you I think the word you just said nailed it. You have pride and tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I think lack of a better term is uh, you, you, you don't want to let the people down in, in your own department that have supported you 
you know, and you've supported them and, and it, it creates, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Some people call it a gang mentality, right? It's like, well, we're all, we're all thick as thieves. We're all, we're all in this together. You know, we, we, we've been together for the good times. We've been together for the bad times and, and, and being in the fire service, whether it's career or volunteer, you, you uh, have created a family and you have opportunities to be involved in the most intimate part of people's lives. Yeah. So their, their weddings, their, their, um, their funerals, the, uh, you know, families being born, you know, uh, on good times, bad times, and you're always there. And so it's synonymous and you, it, it creates a bond that's just like unbreakable. I've come to, I've come to realize the other aspect of it too. Um, I think why I'm so passionate about it and I can't let go at times. It's because I'm very protective of it and I'm worried that we're losing our way and there's things that aren't happening that used to happen, or there's things that we used to do that aren't, that we're not following through with anymore. There's rules, guidelines, regulations, SOPs, or, you know, bylaws that aren't being adhered to like they used to be. And it's like, you know, there has to be some protectors left in the system. And I feel like, I feel like if I were to walk away, some of that I think would go even more so. Well, you, you have the institutional knowledge and that's what the organizations need, whether it's career or volunteer is like, you know, and that's why even in the, in the career sector, like uh, when, when people have the fine benefit and they have the drop program and the drop program is kind of designed so that you have your most experienced personnel there in order to mentor the new people coming through, you know, and, um, and, I, and, I, and I think that's what you inher- inherently are feeling is I'm not ready to let go of this until I see that it's in a good spot. Yeah. Just not, not trending in a good way. <laughs> I know, but you know hard, what? I, I've come to realize and, and much like you, I've been around for a long period of time is that, uh, you know, as you cycle through each generation, there's a new normal. And my, my wife's kind of brought me to this realization that, you know, when I started in the eighties and, uh, mid eighties, early nineties, you know, that's what it was. That's what I remember it as I, the, 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 uh, the, the passion, the compassion, the dedication. And we go, well, the newer kids don't have that. Well, I think they have it in a different way. You know, I, I think they, you know, you, you alluded to it and you, you spoke about it in quite detail early on about how the fire service career, your volunteer career almost ruined your life. You know, you, your personal life and your yeah. family. And, and, and I think, I'm just putting this out there, that these newer people see this and they value different parts of their life. That's a big part of it. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I do. I also think that, you know, there's a big shift with the focus is more on the individual and not the whole. And I think that that's why what you were talking about earlier about your connection to the fire service growing up, but you know, there was relationships at the American Legion, or I think you right. said, and you know, like uh selectmen or councilmen, whatever that is, right. like those things that's, that is being part of the foundation. That's, that's civic mindedness. Like right. that stuff matters. And, and you're not finding people coaching anymore. You're not people finding mm-hmm. people joining committees in town. You're not finding you know, this, uh, you know, fathers and mothers volunteering all their time that they used to give to all these organizations. We're just not. So it's not just the volunteer fire service and it's, it's it's all of it. Right. 
And I think that, you know, there's, there is a new normal, your words, mm-hmm. right? new normal, your wife. Uh, I think it's termed very well. What yeah. we have to be super careful of though, is that the service in which we provide is not affected or changed by this new normal. But, you, you know, and I think we could take it another step is that when you look at society and I think society is hypercritical and everything. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and you look at social media, which I would love. I love social media. I think it's a great tool. But then again, it could turn on you so fast that, you know, people put themselves out there. The coaches put themselves out there. The volunteer firefighters, the career firefighters, they, they all put themselves out there. And all it takes is that one person to, to really uh, to put the screw to it, you know, to, uh, uh, you know to, to challenge, to say that, you know, you know, what was this person doing? You know, uh, the fire siren went off and, and Jimmy went down. He ran me off the road, which couldn't probably didn't even happen. But it doesn't matter because, you know, now now it's in, in the, um, you know, in the public arena and then, and then people just pile on. So instead of the, the public supporting these people that are doing stuff for the community, they're, they're so easy to criticize and to be the keyboard warrior, but not put themselves out. And, and I think that starts to uh, have a toll on what people do for public service. I think so. Um, I think finding, <laughs> I think finding a balance of how to push back a little bit too. I think that we as organizations sometimes are so, so swayed by public opinion that we'll, we will, um, we'll ruin our own, order our own house over public opinion versus standing by our people. Sometimes I think, we're, uh, I think, I think standing by your people is that that's where you build your credibility in house and out, out of house. I think we can, I think leaders now more than ever are too afraid to stand by their people when things get a little tough and they don't have that buy-in or belief in their people. Like maybe we once did because the, the court of public opinion matters more so than ever and they're not focused more so on the mission but it's about me is this going to affect my career is this going to affect my outcome is this going to affect me and if it is well then i'm going to throw this guy under the bus we have a we have a society today of throwing one another in, in front of that bus and then directing the guy to back over him 15 times and and uh, we we need to create an environment that allows for a trust and a mutual respect for one another if i have to believe that you're going to come get me when, when I need you. And right. if you tell me you weren't speeding that day and you didn't run that guy off the road, I would expect an inherent trust between us that one, you're going to tell me, yeah, Hey, I screwed up or Hey, no, man, this is embellished. That guy wouldn't pull over. He was swerving. Like we need to believe our people. Right. We need to have Absolutely. A- uh, you know, and, and I've been put in those positions. So I'm before. sure you have. And um, you know, and nobody's perfect. And I, I'm a firm believer that everybody comes to work or everybody comes down to the volunteer firehouse. Nobody comes down to screw up. But you know what? Every day we do. Of course we do. And, and we learn from it and, and just, you know, take ownership of it and we'll stand behind you. And, and we will, you know, and, and we'll promote and we'll, uh, and, and we'll do what we need to do and we'll use that as a learning moment. But um, I have seen leaders that have thrown people under the bus. It's just it's absolutely disgusting because right then and there they have just left lost the credibility of their entire organization. 
And a lot of times it's on it's on minor things. It's on mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's like it's just they're afraid to take a stand that might be against public opinion. Yep. And you know, at the end of the day, you're you're gonna be more respected for just taking that stand. People just want a decision. They want that decision for for the best possible outcome. And and you know, and not an emotional decision, but a decision that uh, is, is falls in line with what should be done. Chief, you know I mean? making a decision. <laughs> Who would have thought that coming up with making a decision is a tough thing to do now more than ever? Uh, you well, ask somebody a yes or no question, like eight out of 10 people do not uh, just say depends. yes or no. Yeah, It yeah. depends. Well, you know, there's various oh, levels God. of it. But, um, you know, and, and there are times when, uh, you know, when you got to be autocratic to make that decision. Then there's times where you have to or you should, you know, uh, have the input of people that it's going to affect. Because, you know, oftentimes when I'm looking in, in my organizations that I have to make decisions and maybe their policies, procedures and such, is that I always think forward on how it's going to affect different um uh, different people or maybe uh, different entities of the organization or, you know, administrative wise, as opposed to are we handcuffing our company officers? So you have time for that to, to bring the input, but certainly you have to make that decision and then stand by that decision. And if the decision is wrong, it's okay to reel back and say, hey, you know what? I really messed this one up. You were right with this one. Let's change it. And I, I think all too often, some people that are leaders are just um, they their 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 ego just gets in the way, and they they won't allow themselves to say, you know what, I made a mistake here. Let, let's fix this. You know, and to me, I think that that creates a strong leader who could admit that, hey, I I messed this one up. I'm not perfect here. And I've always said this as a chief of the department. It doesn't make me any smarter. It just makes me more responsible. So, you know, you need your people to, to assist you. Yeah, I mean, there it comes with a, a sense of uh, maturity, a sense of your own being, accountability for yourself and your actions, your knowledge and experience. It's hard to make a decision if you don't trust your own judgment. You don't trust right. your own knowledge or experience, or you haven't given yourself the opportunities you needed to be put in that, you know, and now you're in a position where you have to make a decision and you haven't done the work to be able to make that decision. That's- well, I've seen, I've seen in the volunteer sector that, uh, people uh, move up through the ranks a little bit too quick. Yeah. I, I think it happens probably in the career section too. Oh, oh, absolutely. And then most departments yeah. don't have, and in a career department for, for sure, most departments don't have any type of officer training. It's like one day they're riding backwards. The next day they're riding the front seat. Thank you. Right. Yeah. 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 And we, you know, actually I, I said, I was sitting in an oral board all day today for a assistant chief's position uh, in, a, in a larger community area. And we, uh, all three chiefs that were sitting here, were actually discussing. So it's, it's funny you say that. It's like, you know, to, to create a program for that. And in, in, in my career department, my deputy chief actually did create a program for that. I, I couldn't be any prouder of it because that we created an acting lieutenant's position. And then he created training to go along with that. So, yeah. Uh, every two years, we'll, we'll be testing for our lieutenant you know, the entry level into the officer roles 
and they will have all of this training. So they have some knowledge prior to that. And when I when I became a company officer, probably in 1996, that wasn't afforded to me. Exactly what you said is exactly what happened. Was uh, yep, here's your new shield. Uh, you're in charge of infantry now. If you need something, you know, fall down. The and you and you know what? On the on the firematic side, if you got a couple of years in, you can figure it out. Right? It's okay. Yeah. You can figure it out. It's the other stuff. Hear me. Fires are easy, brother. Uh, that's my point, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, going to a fire, no problem. I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Okay, I'm pretty confident. I got to learn how to lead the guys now. But when I get back, I got to do an injury report, paperwork, fill out overtime. I got to do uh, ordering. I got to do procurement. I got to do, like, who who's teaching that? How would you like to be a, a, a lieutenant for three weeks? You walk out on the apparatus floor, and a senior man has a junior man by the throw up against the apparatus right. door. Now what? Now what? Now How what? does this plan out? I, you know, I, I went to my uh, fire officer one book, uh, nothing on that, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So you just, you know, you, you have to be a person at that and you're, point. And you're part of the process now because what happens right. is now it gets documented. And if you're not carrying your weight, you're not doing your part, you're going to get rung up too. Yeah, you're the problem is it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. We can't fault our people when we don't give them the tools and resources to learn. So how can you hold somebody accountable for something they don't know how to deal with if we've never given them that opportunity to learn how to deal with it? Right. No, it's, uh, it was a quick learning experience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's diffuse the situation first, fellas. Back away from each other. Let's figure this out. Let me go yeah. read a couple <laughs> pages in my, in my book. I'll be back. Don't, don't murder each other. I'll be back, right? So let me ask you this, Chief. You said, um, I want to focus a little bit more on you. Um, you know, you said that uh, nobody was surprised when 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 you became a career firefighter. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, uh, I always had the bug, like I said, when I was, uh, as, as long as I could remember, uh, fire siren would go off. My, my yeah. face flew to the window. Um, when I got my bicycle, I would ride down uh, Burton, oh, yeah. Burton Road down to Main Street. I would hear the old American LaFrance starting, you know, the old uh, Detroit starting up. And I would, I would just know, I didn't know where they were going. Um, ironically enough, a person who ended up uh, turning out to be my, my current father-in-law, Bob Carlson, I'd see him coming down Highland Avenue with the blue light in his truck. And I, and I knew all of the volunteer firefighters. Sure. In my sure. community. Small just, town, I, right? I wanted to be that, you know? Yeah. And, um, when I got the opportunity, I did, and I and I went out testing. It took me five, six years, and I, I was fortunate enough to get on the Knoxville Fire Department in 1991, and that's where I started my career. And um, the career in the, in, the, in, in the fire service just opened up so many opportunities for me that just endless. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't much of a person for school. Um, you know, I, I did uh, attend uh, college for about a year, year and a half. It wasn't for me, and that's why I went right back into and die trade but once i got into the fire service there were opportunities to, to go to school fire officer one fire officer two instructor one instructor two instructor three going out to the national fire academy i couldn't get enough i couldn't yeah. drink it and still today the same way I, I was able to quench my thirst of knowledge if you will with the fire service and um you know, I've met so many great people. I've trained with so many great people. Um, I've <laughs> I've had such a crazy career when it, when it comes to meeting people who 
Uh, at, at 18 years old, I, I went to the Wolfgate Regional Fire School, which is a state fire school here uh, in our area. Uh, there were two people, Bob Massacott and uh, Dave Kristoff, who I looked at as my mentors. They were from the city of Waterbury Fire Department. Both of them were company officers there. And they drove this weekend fire school class like it was an academy. And as much as I looked, uh, learned from them and looked up to them, I was petrified by them. And as uh, my fire service career started moving forward and I became an instructor, I became a, uh, an instructor at the Wolf Fire School, I, then I became their peers. And then at one point, uh, Bob Mascot and I were running the school together. So I, I was able to uh, put this all together. And um, this, this gentleman, Dave Kristoff, went on to be the uh, program manager for the Connecticut Fire Academy for the recruit program. Him and I worked together there, and he retired from there, and he recycled himself as well as, guess what, probationary member of the Nauka Fire Department. Guess who was his first company officer the day he walked in? Yep. And I tell him this story. I said, uh, Firefighter Christoph, do you happen to remember um, one day in April at the Wolcott Fire School, probably in 1985, when we rose a 55-foot tormentor pole ladder? <laughs> and a snow squall came in, and you got in my face. You said, Trasky, if you drop that ladder on my car, you just get your crap, and you get out of here, and you're all done in this class. I said, do you remember that, Dave? He goes, absolutely not, I guess. I said, well, I do. I do remember that. So uh, why don't you just go in there and clean the toilets right now? Nice. <laughs> nice. Payback. But, you know, but, but what a great relationship, and him and I are great yeah. friends now. But, you know, the fire service is so small. It's so uh, circular, if you will, that you never know who you're going to bump into again. You never know who's going to become your peer. You never know who's going to become um, your your officer or who you may become officer of. And uh, in to the today, like in my volley, my volley house, I, I mean, I have an assistant chief who I used to change his diapers for crying out loud. Yeah. And and, and it, it just it's to me it's really cool to put that all into perspective and, and to to continue on with that career, to, to you know, to um, move these people forward, to promote them, take over the service. Well, I mean, you're you're painting a picture for me, and now I'm answering my own question, right? Is like, why are we so passionate and committed to this? It's moments it like that, right? I mean, yeah. it's you know, just the what it's done for us as an individual, the experiences we have, and then watching it just continue to pay it forward. I mean, it's just amazing. So for you, as you pursued your career, right? So volunteer, get into the career department. Uh, now yeah. you talk, right? Small, smaller department, right? Smaller career department. Yeah. Eight, eight firefighters per shift. Yeah. Small. To, so it was an accommodation department or was it? Just um, at first, in the beginning, it was a combination department. Then through attrition, it just became a, a total career department. Yeah. Eight, eight firefighters per shift. We ran two engines and a truck. Two engines and a truck with eight guys? Yeah, so uh, I love it. Three, three firefighters <laughs> on the east side of town, three downtown, and two firefighters on the truck. That was it. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, we, we put out a lot of fire. And I when bet. I, when I first started in the fire department, we only had two firefighters up at the east side fire station. And I remember the days where I would be driving a 19, I think it was a 1983 five speed. And, um, a buddy of mine, Richie Alpes, him and I worked together. Another guy, Charlie Do Charlie Dovac, 
Charlie Dovac, who actually happens to be the brother-in-law of Pat Nichols. Okay. Remember, he was on the other yeah. uh, couple weeks ago last week. week. about the, the front end of that American LeBrand yeah. in his house. I drove that. Believe no me. shit, really? Yes. <laughs> That's okay. very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we would get on scene, and it would be several minutes before the headquarters engine would get there. And I, I'd set set the truck and pump gear, you know, set the pressure governor and go in, and we'd put the fire out, and then they'd arrive on scene and take over the pump unit. That, that's how we did it. You know, the, yeah. if you look at it now, that's kind of criminal back in, you know. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, listen, you got, you got work to do, whether you got two guys or 100 guys. So you got to get to work. And, and, um, and back in those days, you, you built your credibility. There was no hiding. There's none of this. You, you put yes. up or shut up. You know? yeah. There's no place to hide. Well, I, I think I was fortunate in my fire service career to have those opportunities. Lack of a better term, build that street cred with, with, I think so. Yeah. And then fast forward now, I mean, you're chief of the, um, South fire district, correct? Fire district, yep. But, once again, smaller size. Department. Yeah. We're a, um, a taxing district in a city of Middletown. It's three taxing districts. Uh, okay. We run eight, eight per shift as well now. So exactly the same format. Just now you run EMS as well? Yeah, we do uh, first responder. First responder. We have a dive team. Okay. We have a fireboat and technical rescue team as well. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, small departments are just super interesting to me, very dynamic, you know, um, asking a lot of their people, the people you, you just mentioned a lot of different disciplines. So you got people that are cross training on a lot of different, uh, a lot of different activities there. Yeah. At any given time, no matter what writing position you're in, you can be from hydraulic cutters to, to setting up the Arizona vortex uh, going into a confined space to uh, getting on the uh, on the fire boat or on the boat going to uh, looking for somebody in distress or assisting in a dive rescue um, firefighting you could be on a truck you could be on the hose line on the truck as well you know uh, in in our um, complement here at South Fire District we have four on the first two engine uh, rescue engine we have four on the last truck truck 34. Uh, we go citywide response, uh, like truck 34, wherever we're needed, and a uh, lot of opportunities for growth. Yeah. Middletown is where? Middletown is located where? Just trying to place almost, it. Almost in the middle of the uh, state of uh, Connecticut. Um, okay. Or, or if you want to, uh, we're um, east of Waterbury. South east of, of Waterbury. East of Waterbury, south of Hartford. Okay. Uh, right, al right along the Connecticut River. Yep. Uh, our response district has seven miles of the Connecticut River that we're responsible for. Okay. Um, whenever there's a river fall, it's a three-department uh, fall. It's uh, Portland, which is Volunteer Fire Department, City of Middletown Fire, and South Fire District. Got you. It's got to be fun keeping you on your toes. It's it's you, it's a blast when you when you look at the, this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love it because when you when you look at the city of Middletown and people look at it as a city, and we're known for the Aragoni Bridge, and, and you look at the, the city uh, proper, we're uh, South Fire District, also called South Farms. So we're pretty much, uh, once you get out of the inner city, we're rural to the point where uh, there's quite a bit of wilderness. And, uh, about two years ago, we had the largest forest fire that the state of Connecticut seen in the last 10 years. You can have that. And it, it was 
unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it was just unbelievable in uh, the amount of resources that was needed and um, the, the things that occurred during that fire was like off the hook. Wow. And it, it's something that, like, if you look at a city department, wouldn't be used to, but because we are in the South Farms and abutting us are a bunch of volunteer departments, um, Padham, Middlefield, Durham, and uh, they have Rush Tuck Snow Center. It's just, uh, it, it was uh, several days of uh, a major wildland fires. Uh, we normally just typically don't see any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have outside resources that come in to give you a hand with that? Like, you know, yeah, we, uh, Connecticut, the Connecticut DEP came in. Got it. They actually brought in, they, they were actually able to exercise a Northeast plan that they haven't done in a long time. And they had to give it to Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And, but, um, it's even in, in our district, although we're the city of Middletown outside, we're the South Fire District, the further south you go, the less uh, municipal water we have. So we rely on our outside volunteer departments for uh, tank catastrophes. Okay. For, you know, Middle Middletown Fire, you know, Middletown South Fire District relies on rural water supply for sure. more than half of our response areas. Yeah. Well, listen, man, 90% of the American Fire Service doesn't have fire hydrants. <laughs> I know. I know. it. It's we, we get, you know, we, we get spoiled around here. Oh, my God. We get, yeah, I mean, we get so spoiled. My, di- my area is like two-thirds hydrant, one-third without hydrant, but we'll never do like a tanker shuttle because we'll we'll drop 4,000 feet in relay if we have to for a large, right. you know, structural fire. But, you know, our we do have a pumper tanker that goes first due to the non-hydrant areas. It's a 3,500-gallon pumper tanker. So we just bury that thing and it goes yeah, work. You know? off of that, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, the way I, you know, the way we talk about it, it's seven engine companies. If you're running 500 gallon engine companies. So, mm-hmm. you know, like you put that in perspective, we can run a lot of water with 3,500 gallons. You put down a lot of fire with that. So Absolutely. by that time we can do a lot of, you know, relay pumping and things like that to, to get us uh, domestic water to the scene if we have to. Right. So, yeah, but it makes it makes for fun. But like nobody ever talks about that. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's only a couple guys that talk about like rural firefighting, rural water supply. Right. A lot of our people that are out there teaching come from an urban setting because that gives them the street cred to be able to get out and teach. And yet there's, there's tremendous individuals out there that have a lot of knowledge, but they just don't put themselves out there because they're from a smaller suburban or rural community. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I first started in August, I pretty funny is that they took the hard suction hoses off the apparatus well we're we're a, a career city department we don't need suction hoses yep. okay so they take them all off uh, some five six years later they put a uh, nfpa uh through an nfpa water supply they put an ordinance into our community that if you're going to build outside of city water area which we did have some in Nagatuck, you're going to put down underground cisterns, 30,000 gallon cisterns for the fire service. So they started doing that. And then they, they came to me because they <laughs> that I had some drafting experience. They're like, we don't know what to do with this. Over. I love it. So there we go. Put 10 foot hard section back on there. And, and we were drilling with it, drilling with it. And I, uh, maybe I got a little obsessive with the drilling, but I wanted people to get this guy. So as the captain, and we're drilling, 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 getting it down. And it was summertime, and there was, uh, you know, people are uh, off on vacation, and this one guy, uh, Anthony Salcido, ended up being our mechanic. 
it just seemed that every time I was drilling, he was hooking up. It's like, you know, every time you're drilling, I'm driving. I've, I've done this 20 times. I got it down. I'm like, you know, muscle memory. I go through the whole thing. Sure enough, two weeks later, we get a rock and fire, 4,000 square foot home right in front of a cistern. Anthony's driving. <laughs> he called me up from the scene. Thank God you showed me how to do this because it's like, I, you know, I, I would have never known how to do it. And this guy's probably the most trained guy that we had in uh, the fire department. But it's those uh, low frequency, high risk, if you will. Sure. You're sure. So to, to hitting a plug and. Well, listen, I mean. Water coming out and that's just the way it happens. I love I love this because, you know, where we are, you know, we're there's only a few communities around where I am that lack United, you know, municipal water throughout the whole you know town or municipality. Right. We had a very large fire many, many years ago in Elmwood Park, which was in Bergen, you know, Bergen County, Markow Paper Mill. It was a massive paper plant. It was like 20 degree, like 20 below zero. I mean, it was freezing right. that night. Worst case scenario. And it was, it was. And you know how many engine companies came down and could not draft out of the river? They needed water. Right. And they could not draft out of the river because nobody had hard sleeves on their engines. Mm-hmm. I'm like, when did, when did we get away from hard sleeves on fire apparatus? Like, I just... I didn't know that that was like a trend. I mean, even like New York City after 9-11, you look at their engine companies are carrying at least three, four sections of hard sleeves on them. Right. Well, the thing is like the good idea fairy comes around. It's like, hey, we've never used it in the last fairy. 10 years. So we, we need to we need to get rid of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's For about, sure. All about being prepared. And you you know, in today's fire service, it's like, you know, we're and, and, and it's funny because, you know, my wife being involved in the fire service and our community going, you know, we, we wake up in the morning, we look at each other, we're like, what's going to happen today? Because, you know, what what's the next big, big thing that's going to happen in the fire service that we're going to have to get prepared? What is it? I, that's exactly. You know, I mean, when I was, uh, you know, I was around in, in, in 2001 hit, um, you know, we were preparing for things that we'd never even heard of. And the white powder schools came around doing that, you know, you know, moving, you know, thinking on your feet, creating policies, procedures around that, and moving from that. And then now, you know, we hit the COVID, you know, we terrorist things that we had to be concerned with. And now COVID became real. We had to, you know, yeah. switch and, and put that. And, you know, and in the fire service has done nothing but excel during these times. I think it's that, you know, we, we, we get a bunch of nothing that we have to look at, create something out of it, create policies and procedures to not only respond to the public, but also to protect our own personnel at the same time with very limited information. You know what? God damn it. We make it work. We make it happen. And um, it just, um, it, it concerns me what, what may be next. You know, and not, not that you're always looking into doom and gloom, but, you know, uh, what's the next thing to prepare for? At the same time, making sure our people are trained back to the basics to, uh, to, to, to realize, you know, the, you know, um, the hazards and fire and, and to make those go, no go decisions. We're, we're throwing so much at these newer people coming in and, and even the generations that aren't even here yet, we're laying down the groundwork to possibly prepare them for things that are unknown that makes any sense it does i think um i think we've i think we've had to formalize it more through policy 
And I think things have gotten a little more unique in in our response responsibilities compared to what it used to be, right? We used to get everything thrown at us and we would just handle it. Right. And now it's our responsibilities have grown, but we do it in a way now that's much more formal. Mm-hmm. And then we have to, we don't leave it up to the boots on the ground to make arbitrary decisions anymore. We have to have a plan because we know what the repercussions could be if we don't have a plan. But, but one of the things that, you know, and I'll argue the point that oftentimes that we policy our people enough that we handcuff them. I agree with you a hundred percent, man. And I, and I told my, I've told my company officers is that, you know, we have policies and procedures, but I will stand behind value driven decisions. I love that. I absolutely, I'll stand, stand behind value, value, value driven decisions. You know, not everything comes out of the box with instructions. And I, I I love that chief. I talk about it all the time where I go, you got to make a decision, make a decision based. uh, If I, if, if you need to make a decision, you make that decision. I will stand behind you hundred percent. If you can explain to me why you made that decision and it made sense to you at that time. If it wasn't the right decision, we'll talk about it. I'll educate you, but we'll move forward. But I won't fault you for that. Yeah. Value, value driven -driven decision. decision. You're much more eloquent than I am. Much more eloquent. Not necessarily. (laughs) I think so. I I like that a lot. I mean, stand behind value driven decisions. Mm -hmm. We need that. We need our people. We need our people to know that that's a thing. Right. And, and, you know, and like I, I come into the South Fire District. I've been there six years. Uh, I, I'm working with people that have been there for 26 years. They know this response district inside out. They have the experiences. You know, uh, they've been on to some pretty large calls, pretty catastrophic calls. They know how to make decisions. So if I'm going to come in, and yeah, you have to have some type of policy procedure. You have to have guidelines to follow, but if you are going to expect people to handle emergency scenes based on an instruction manual, that that's not who we are. That, that really isn't. There, there are basic things that, you know, obviously seatbelt policies, you know, uh, water supply, getting things in place initially, but you, you have to allow your people some levity to, to make those decisions and, and, and make sure they're sound decisions and give them the guidance knowledge, skills, and abilities to make those decisions as well. We, we cannot policy our people to death. We just can't. I, I think the fire service is steeped on gray. <laughs> we, have to, we have to make decisions when we have to make decisions, and you cannot account for that on paper. A lot of times we can, we can give you, and that's why they're called guidelines, right? Right. Let's be honest, right? They're guidelines. You know, and and when, when you look back at things and uh, if if something isn't going right, you know, I look at these three things, either they were unwilling, unknowing or unable, you know, and, and, and most people are are willing to do things, you know, and, and I don't think people just do it. Uh, haphazardly just say that I'm going to disregard everything safety, everything I know to make this happen. You know, and and I think that most people make the best decisions possible, in that you 
again, have to afford them the opportunities to um, to know what those decisions are, offer them those opportunities to, to make those decisions, but give them the guardrails, if you will, of how far they could go. Because obviously safety, if it's, if it's going to compromise safety whatsoever, I'll tell you what, I, and I'm not proud to admit it, I have risked my life on several parking lots in Naugatuck, Connecticut. Now, they're parking lots now because I thought that it was the right thing. And I, I needed a guardrail. I needed a guardrail. And, um, you know, and it's okay to give your people the guardrail, but it's also okay to give them a little bit of uh, latitude to do their job. Well said. Very, very well said. You said it was unwilling, unknowing, or unable. Unable. Yep. So unknowing, they didn't. They don't I'm know. I'm taking what notes here. Right. So uh, you know, when it's unwilling, that that's the the point where now, yes. now it's kind of malicious. If you mm-hmm. I'm just not going. Really well said. Yeah, I no, that was that was really good. I like the guardrail analogy too, for sure. You know, because I'm in the process of teaching my daughter how to drive. She has her permit. She's getting her license next month. And as, you know, as experience, you know, as she gets more and more experience, she becomes better and better. But as you become better and better, you start to take some more chances. Mm -hmm. And so it's (laughs) providing a guardrail, right? Right. You know, saying like the guardrail is there in case you hit, but Mm -hmm. I want you to hit. Right, right. I like that. That's really well. Let me ask you this. Time is uh, time ticks by very quickly on this podcast. And and so on. I'm conscious of your time, my time and, and the listener, of course, F- some thoughts from you, some things that are on your mind. Uh, uh, give me a topic or two that are important to you in the fire service that maybe we didn't touch on. Um, I think um, I really enjoyed our conversation. I just want I, you to I, know I, that up front. I, I it, this has been a fantastic conversation. A lot of similarities between the two of us which is, uh, it's enjoyable to hear. So, um, you know, just, just to pull back on as that, you know, as you move through your fire service career and you, you may advance and um, I, I look at um, people in the fire service, whether you're a career volunteer, that there are people that are committed and there's people that are, and, you know, there, there's the committed people. And I would say uh, you fall into that realm of committed people that you are, Available twenty four seven. You're raring to go. You're you're pushing the brotherhood. You you love the traditions of the fire service, um, and you're there for everything. Like like uh, food drive, you're probably there. Anything for the community. Anything for the best part of your organization, you're there. So you are totally committed. And then you have the people that are compliant that just probably do the bare neck, uh, the the bare um, um, minimum. Minimum. Thank you. The bare minimum. It doesn't make them any less of uh, a valuable, or maybe a little bit, but it's they're still valuable members of your department. But what, what I'm kind of trying to drive at is that any given time during our lives, we have different amounts of time to um, devote to our organization. And I think we talked about this early on that you know when you're the 18 year old kid, you're basically living down the fire. Right. No other, no other thing to do, and this is consuming your time. Things and are pretty simple. Yeah, and you can't understand why the rest of the world is not down there with you. you know? And then you start to have a, maybe garner a relationship or get married, you start to have children, or a job gets in the way, and you're giving 
you know, less and less time, but the time that you're giving is valuable time to that organization. So I, I don't think that time, that type of stuff should be measured in the amount of time, but the quality of time. And I think that as people move through the ranks or as they get uh, further in their career, maybe you're a chief of a career department or a volunteer department, to remember that you, you need to know your people. You need to have, have to have a little empathy for your people, get to know them at a personal level. So you know what their trials and tribulations are as they are members of your organization. That, you know, I, I, I noticed that Jim hasn't been coming around so much. What's wrong with him? He doesn't care about us. Well, that may not be true. Maybe there's somebody sick at home or maybe there's something going on. Get to know your people so you understand the reasons why. And reach out to them. You know what, Jeremy? We haven't seen you down in the firehouse. You're you're a valuable member. We need you down here. Is there anything we could do for you? Yeah, I just traveling a lot, Chief. Just traveling it, a lot, you know. <laughs> just talking to people, but you know. But I think we forget that because you're 100 percent right. We look at what have you done for me lately. So it's like, hey, Jeremy hasn't been around, oh, Chief. What have you done for me lately? Nothing pisses me off more when a guy that has been around <laughs> right. for a couple of weeks comes back. He makes a call, right. and then one of the guys is like, hey, where the fuck have you been? Right. Yeah. What? Like, hold on. Like, I'm you're sorry, busting the guys, a living, perhaps. You're uh, busting the guy's chops for coming to a run because he hasn't been here the last three weeks before. Maybe something was up. Like, but it takes work, Chief. Yeah. We need buy-in. We need people to put the work in to believe in one another. This is right. where, this is where that guy in the front row making the motion at every meeting matters, right? Because we have buy-in. And we believe in our people. We want to be a part of their lives. And so we need to embrace and welcome them. We don't need to tarnish and push away. And, and as a leader of your department, stop that rhetoric. hundred percent. Knock it off. The, don't worry about where you've been. Worry about where you're going. You know? The talking out of both sides of your mouth gets very old with people like me because I see right through you. Yeah. When you do one thing and say another, man, I mean, nothing gets me more today than that. When I see people that say one thing and they live a different way or they do something right. and they say something like I just I have such a hard time. <laughs> to I, I have a hard time tolerating that. And in fact, it gets me in trouble because a lot of times I'll just call people out on it and um, it ruffles feathers. But it's listen, well, they don't I, like the truth. You know? Yeah. But I, I, I will leave you with this. I, I'll leave you a little uh, little story about brotherhood and, um, and and what it means to me. Back probably, it might have been after 2001. Um, it was a Thanksgiving. And um, we were going to have a Thanksgiving dinner at our house in August. But we had a couple children at the time. My wife at the time goes downstairs and she says, there's water on the floor. I don't know what's going on. We went on the floor. We live in a rural area. I noticed that there's water coming out where the septic tank goes in. And lo and behold, I looked. I thought maybe it's clogged. And I noticed that the pipe is cracked. Oh, my God, there's something wrong with the septic tank. At the same time, she comes down with the phone and she says, your sister's on the phone. She's very upset. And my sister lives out in Colorado. And she calls me. She goes, you know, Jimmy, it's, it's me, Marilyn. You got to get out here right away. Daddy had a sudden cardiac arrest. And he's not going to make it. Oh, my God. So I was like, oh, my God. So, you know, people are coming over to the house. I get a flight out. I get a flight out with my brother. We go out to Colorado. Lo and behold, my brother-in-law meets us in the uh, 
airport. He says, I uh, just want to let you know, yeah, they're just keeping your dad alive enough. Uh, we're just going to say goodbye to you. We say goodbye to him. So get emotionally ready for this. I walk into the hospital room. My father's sitting up in bed reading the newspaper. He looks at me. He goes, Jimmy, what are you doing here? What the hell's going on? And what had happened was he did have sudden cardiac arrest, but there were two firefighters who lived next door, and they started CPR. They made him a viable patient. And he had just woken up that morning when they got there. And the doctor walked in and said, you know what, your, your dad had less than 1% chance of survival. And if it wasn't for early CPR, he wouldn't be alive today. So I was like, I was elated. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And then, you know, when, when you look at the brotherhood of how the brotherhood, you know, reached across the country to, to help my dad, at the same time, Just about every member of the Nauset Fire Department was at my house, hand digging out my septic tank because it was underneath my porch. And um, not only did they fix my septic tank and bury it all up, you know, obviously free of charge, but they took it upon themselves to um, put up all of my Christmas lights because I was like Clark W. Griswold back in the time, and, uh, because they knew that it meant that much. <clears throat> to me, that is a direct reflection of brotherhood. You know, taking care of your people when they can't take care of themselves. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So, uh, I, I think that's another reason probably why I'm so driven. Yes, so I was just going to end it with that, Chief. Oh, that, um, you know, yeah. you, know you, you, you know, this is an example. Don't let this, don't let this have to happen to you to be an example to let you know that the brotherhood is important that uh, that we're all important to each other and without each other we have no one and you know what chief there's some bad days mm -hmm. and there's some days that we're disgruntled and turned off by it too and then we need to right. refocus regroup and come back but it's those down moments where we can't let that win out over an experience well, like that it, Jeremy, you said that, you know, when, when you look at, to me, a bad day at the firehouse, right? So we have some bad days or, or you walk in and you hear a person say, well, this place sucks. And, you know, and it's funny because the guy was a deputy chief. Uh, now he was a union president at the time. He heard somebody say that at the firehouse and all of a sudden he just, he's on a tyrant around the firehouse. He's got eight by eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and a marker. And he's, he's got, uh, uh, tape and he's taping. I'm like, what are you doing? So he falls the whole department together. He gets him in the meeting room. He goes, listen, this place sucks. And I just counted it. Look at all the numbers. We have eight doors here. If you don't like it here, none of these eight doors are keeping you here. Get the hell out. You know, and, and the thing is, is that people, you know, and we have an opportunity in, in our, in our career, in our service, whether it's volunteer or, or paid to make a difference in lives yes every day and we do and we do every day and and that's a privilege to have that and it's an absolute privilege and um for people not to know that sometimes is is disheartening and and i think they need a little slap on the head a little reality check that you know you're doing a job that other people would give their life to do you know appreciate the opportunities that you have to help people. Well said, brother. Well said. Chief, thank you. 
thank you for sharing that story at the end there. Um, super powerful and uh, emotional for sure. Um, but it just resonates with what we talked about today, man. Like you right. and I just had a fantastic conversation about something we are both very passionate for, you know, the virus, yeah. man. It's alive yeah. and well. It's good. It's good. Keep, keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. We have we we have no other opportunity. We 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 have to. How do you how do you not? It's the same reason why we're so committed to our firehouses and our fire companies and the people in them. It's the same with the fire service. We're committed to it. We have to work hard every single day to maintain and make us better. Right. That's it. Hey, Jeremy, I got to thank you uh, for the opportunity to talk to you today. Hell it yeah. It was awesome. And, and hopefully we get the word out a little bit. You know? uh, for sure. I think that this, this episode is going to resonate with a lot of people in, in a lot of different ways. I think we hit on a lot of great stuff. And um, and I think where you speak from and I know where I speak from, it comes from sheer passion and love for what we do um, and who we are. And um, and we're both very proud of that. So, yeah, this conversation was great, Chief. Thank you very much for joining me today. Chief Jim Trasky, Trasky. Right. That's close enough. Trasky. Yes, sir. Trasky. Right. I had it right the first time and I second guessed myself. <laughs> Steve, thank you very much um, for your time tonight. And um, it was absolutely great getting to know you. Um, and I'm so glad that this opportunity presented itself. I really do. I'm sure our paths will cross sometime. I mean, they will, man. I'm in Connecticut all the time. And and now that uh, now that we did this for sure, I'll be reaching out and I'd love to stop in and say hello and see the see the see the firehouse and so on so yeah we'll make that happen for sure All so right, brother. i appreciate it stay right here i'm just going to sign off the podcast and i'll be right back to you okay okay guys thanks for tuning in for another episode of the national fire radio podcast what a great episode man so much so much chatter here about the passion and love we have for the fire service and uh, i know if you're here and you're listening to this you share the same beliefs and thoughts about the job that we love so do me a favor, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it. Because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.